I was too excited talking to everybody. I forgot I'm going to need this today. My, um, between my junior year and sophomore year of high school, uh, three buddies and, and, my, and three buddies and I, we decided we were going to do something to change our look. We wanted to come in. I'm going to need the Bible. We, we came in and we decided we're going to look drastically different. So me and three of my buddies, what we did is we went out and we bought cowboy boots. We bought tight jeans, belt buckles. I think mine said born in the USA. And that's right. And, um, and then I got um, a country concert t-shirt, Alan Jackson concert t-shirt, tucked in, my big belt buckle, my tight jeans, and I made a radical, drastic change in my look. I did have a little bit of a mullet, too. Um, yeah, that's right. Now, this, this seemed, might not seem like a drastic change if you lived in like some rural town or whatever, but, but I lived in Centerville. So to say that people noticed the change would be an understatement. Um, we got, I got lots of comments, some stares, some whispers. I think some whistles, too. I think that was the tight jeans. Um, but, but there was a drastic change that had happened, and people noticed. Well, our text for today that we're going to talk about, there's a guy, and there's a drastic change in his life, and people notice. But the thing is, the drastic change wasn't something he did to change his appearance, um, it, the drastic change wasn't something that he did. It was actually something that God did to him. It was something that God did in him, and people noticed. Um, we will be in Acts chapter 3. I want to start by saying, if you're judging me for my um, cowboy boots and you're having a hard time listening, try to, try to stay with me. If you need to, you can picture me in those cowboy boots and the belt buckle, but, but try, try to stay with me. Don't, don't judge me too much. Um, so Acts chapter 3 is where we will be, but before we do, the background. So we obviously have been going through the book of Acts, and Jesus had died, he had risen again, and he had told the disciples that they would receive power and that they would be his witnesses. And then he ascends into heaven, and, and then this, this miraculous event happens, and he gives them the Holy Spirit. He gives them Power and they're ready to be his witnesses. And so he, he fills them with the Holy Spirit. And, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord that day. And before that, there was 120. So at this point in time, there was at least 3,120 followers of Jesus. But then it says that they, they get together and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're devoting themselves to breaking the bread, to fellowship, and to prayer, which is what we really tried to do all last week. That's really what last week was really about, was us um, devoting ourselves to the apostle teaching, the breaking of the bread, and to prayer, and to fellowship. And so, so that's what's going on, is these people are devoting themselves to the apostles teaching, the breaking of the bread, to prayer, to fellowship. And, and we know during this time, if you, the last verse of the book of Luke says that, that the disciples, that they were continually in the temple. Now, in this time period, the Jews had three different times a day that they would go to the temple. It was very um, devout people who would go to the temple three times a day, in the morning, the afternoon, and the evening for times of prayer. Now, it wasn't in the law that they had to do that, but um, David talked about it in Psalms, Daniel did it, and so the, the devout Jews would go to the temple three times a day for prayer, for an hour of prayer. So that's um, what was going on in, in, the, in these, these followers of Christ. They were continually in the temple. And we also know in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, 
that it says that there were many signs and wonders that were happening at the hands of the apostles. We don't really know exactly what those are, but Jesus has given them the, the, the spirit. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread. They're continually at the temple, and there's many signs and wonders going on. And then we get to our text for today, which is Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And I think I'm going to uh, read down to 11. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1 and ending in verse 11. And this is what the word says. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. A man, lame from birth, was, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And they, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no gold, I have no silver, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Let's pray. God, um, something drastic, something radical happens in this text. God, I pray that you would help us to see what it is and that you would help us to, to understand what that even means today. And God, I just pray that the words that come from my mouth will be pleasing to you, will bring honor to you, and that you will use in my life and in other lives as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So we got Peter and John, they're, they're going to the temple. And the reason that they're going to the temple, like I said, it's, it's an hour of prayer. It's, this, it's, it's kind of normal. That's just what they're doing day in and day out. And when you think about this, I really want you to think, like, how crowded would this temple have been? Later in the book of Acts, it says that the whole, uh, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem have heard about this event. So there has to be just massive amounts of people in the temple. And we know all about the, these, these new Christians. They're devoting themselves to the apostle teaching, the breaking of the bread, and the prayer. And we'll see as we go through the book of Acts that oftentimes they're, they're meeting in homes. But also, I think that they're going to the temple together. I think it's very possible that we have many of those 3,120 people just sitting around the temple. That they're, they're trying to get together, to be together. These, these Christians, they want to be with each other, to fellowship with each other. And so there they are in the temple. They're walking into the temple, and this place is crowded. And there's a, a man who's lame from birth. If you, Acts chapter 4, a little bit later in, in verse 22, it says that the guy was more than 40 years old. So imagine this 40-year-old man, over 40, has been lame his entire life. He is being carried into the temple and laid at the gate. 
But I, wanna, I really was trying to think through, like, what would this be like? Can you imagine never learning to walk, never learning to run, never learning to ride a bike? For him, it was probably not riding a donkey, not riding a bike. But can you imagine when you're not allowed to go into the temple? Part of why he's laid at the gate is because he, he literally is not allowed. If you have something physically wrong with you, you're not allowed to go into the temple. So there he is just laid down. Can you imagine the looks, the stares, the snickers? I started thinking about, really, what would the ramifications of being lame from birth be? If you cannot get up and walk and you need to go to the bathroom, you probably just go to the bathroom. So there's this guy who's laying there, likely smells like urine. He has lived his life at the mercy of others. He probably feels like a burden to people. He feels indebted to the people who will carry him to the temple and lay him down so that at the very least he can make a little bit of money and maybe get a little bit to, to, to buy some food. This guy, lame from birth, I would guess has some self-esteem issues. He probably feels like he's uh, less of a man than other people. It's very likely that he's over time, become very bitter. I can tell you this, if I can't get up and get moving, I think I'm going to struggle. Maybe there's even this anger at God. God, why did you do this to me? And there's this man who's been laid at the gate of the temple. Peter and John come up to him, and he thinks that they're going to give him money. And then Peter says something really interesting. He says, look at us. You know what I think is going on in this moment? I think that this guy feels so shameful and so guilty about what his life looks like and feels like such a burden that he won't even look up and make eye contact at him. With this man who's just laying there, lame from birth, with all of that stuff going on in his life. Doesn't even want to look people in the eyes. Have you ever had a season in your own life where because of sin, because of just things that were going on that you just really didn't even want to make eye contact at people? I think that that's what's going on with this guy. And, and Peter looks at me and he says, um, I don't have gold or silver. And it, there's, there's times where I've read through this and I, I almost kind of thought, well, he just didn't want to give it to him because the guy's begging. Like, I mean, all of us have been there. We've driven by somebody and we see him, they reek of alcohol and they're asking for money and you're like, I'm not giving that guy money. Like, I think we've probably all been in that situation. But, but what happens is, is Peter goes by him and he says, I have no gold or silver, but I, I was thinking so much about this. He was a fisherman. Peter and John were fishermen. And what happened? They left everything to follow Jesus. So then they followed Jesus for three years. Who was it that held the money bag? It was Judas. So they're following Jesus. Judas holds the money bag, and it says that Judas used to help himself to the money, right? And so, so there they are. They're, they're following Jesus. They don't have the money. Judas has the money, and now at this point in time, Judas has already betrayed Jesus and left, and so there's no money. They truly don't have any money. 
And then they all, all these people become followers of Christ and, and they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of the bread and to prayer and to fellowship. And what also is happening is they're giving their money to each other. They're taking care of each other's needs. As we continue on in the book of Acts, we're going to see that um, not only are they taking care of each other's needs, but they're taking care of the widows. So Peter and John, they don't have any money. So Peter and John say, we don't have money, but what we do have, we give to you. What is it that they do have? They've been with Christ. They have seen Jesus' compassion on people. They've seen Jesus' willingness to not just pass people by. They've seen Jesus be willing to touch people, to take time, to, to have a willingness to, to respect them as a person. He's, he's seen, they've seen Jesus honor someone. They've seen Jesus' power. Not only have they seen Jesus' power, they have faith in his power, but also what happened just, just last chapter, they have been filled with this power. So they say, I have no gold or silver, but what I do have, to, I give to you. And then they say, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. But you know what, as I was reading through this and thinking through this, you know what? There are so many times in my life where I would rather give somebody a couple bucks than give them Jesus. It's so much easier. If somebody wants money, I can just hand them money and I can be done with them. That's easier. But it's a lot harder to, to, to be interrupted in your day and to give them Jesus. So much harder. But they say we don't have gold or silver. And the thing is, I think if we get to a point where we really don't have so much that we can do and we can give to help somebody, all we have is Jesus. So he says, I have no money or no gold or silver, but what I do have, I give to you. He gives him Jesus. Um, I wasn't going to share this that, that, that I was thinking through, but I'm going to share it. There were several, um, probably two years ago, that a group of us from here decided to go to Marion's after service. That way we could feel like sardines packed in there. Um, but we all, a big group of us went to Marion's, and we're sitting there, and, and, a, and a guy, homeless guy, comes up to me and asks for a couple bucks. And I, I kind of have this thing. I don't typically just hand money out. And I said, I'm not going to give any money, but I will give you however much pizza you want to order. If you want to order 10 pizzas, I'll buy them. I'll get you as many pizzas as you want. He said, well, no, I need money for groceries. And I said, well, I'm willing to buy you food. And he was like, okay, yeah, that'd, that'd be good. So um, we, he goes up to the counter with me, and we're talking. I'm trying to get to know him a little bit. And, and he orders two small pizzas. I'm like, this is Okay, good. And I was like, hey, man, why don't you come sit with us? You know, there's a big group of us from our church. We just got done, and we'd love for you to sit with us. He's like, no, no, it's okay. And so I talked with him for a little while, and then i like, are you sure? Because I feel like I should probably go sit down. I'd love for you to come with us. No, no, I'll, just, I'll stand right here. Okay. So I go sit down. Not a minute later, boom, he's out the door. I'm like, what? He never comes back for the pizza. And I even wait after everybody else has left for another half an hour or so. And so I, I'm there for like two hours. Like he clearly decided I don't want the pizza. I want something else. And he left. So then fast forward um, about a year after that. I'm downtown Dayton eating lunch with somebody. And this guy, same guy, comes up and says, hey man, can you give me a couple bucks? And starts to give this long, his long story. And I said, I don't think you want a couple bucks. 
He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, what do you want a couple bucks for? He's like, well, I need to get groceries and, you know, all this different stuff. And I said, well, do you remember about a year ago you were outside Marion's Pizza and over by the Dayton Mall? And you asked this guy for a couple bucks because you needed food, and he bought you two pizzas, and you left. And he just goes, never mind, thank you, and just walked away. But you know, the thing is, is, is it's so much easier to just give somebody a couple bucks than to give them Jesus. But sometimes people don't want either one of them. They don't want Jesus. But this guy is sitting there, and Peter says, what I do have, I give to you. And he takes him by the right hand, and he says, rise and walk. Again, think about the fact that this guy has never walked, he's never run, he's never ridden, probably ridden a donkey, he can't go into the temple, he has his life with looks and stares and snickers and probably has some bathroom issues, maybe he has bed sores. He's got so much going on. And, and, Jesus, and Peter says, rise and walk. And he gets up and he leaps. It doesn't just say like he gets up and walks. It doesn't say like he gets up and he's like a newborn baby who's trying to walk and stumbling a little bit. He gets up and he leaps. And he's praising God. It, to me, it seems like he's running all around, grabbing on to Peter and John, super excited about this amazing, drastic change that has happened in his life. He's probably, for the first time, feels like he's not trapped in his own body. He probably feels like now there are possibilities for my life. Something radically has happened in his life and has changed him. And when that happens, people take notice. One of the greatest forms of evangelism, I believe, is a changed life. It's easy for someone to, to talk about the Bible and somebody to try to discount that. But when they see someone who lived like this and who was radically changed and now they look like this, it is hard to shut that down. And that's what happens to this guy. There's a radical change in his life. And it says that the people notice. It says that they are filled with wonder, with amazement, that they're utterly astounded, that they're staring I think when, it, when an amazing, miraculous thing happens in someone's life and they are radically and drastically changed, people take notice. And that's exactly what happens in this text. But I think that it's easy for us to read things like this and be like, oh, that's cool that, 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 that God did that. But I believe that he still does this today. I can tell you that he did this in my life. I was living like this, and something happened, and my life looked profoundly different from that day forward. I believe that God truly still wants to, to change people. He wants to radically change people. But if you, if you look through the Bible, you can see that God delivers people. He rescues people. He frees them. He fixes them. He undoes things. He repairs. He redeems. He makes new. He saves. He protects. He gives peace. He gives joy. He gives hope. 
You can see that nothing is impossible without God. You can see that he's able. There's times throughout the word where you see Jesus heals the blind, the lame, the lepers, the demon-possessed, tax collectors, a woman caught in adultery, a woman at a well, a paralytic. You see Jesus do so many powerful things. You see him heal with a word, with a touch, with spit, with mud, close up and from a distance. You see Jesus healing people just by them touching the fringe of his garment. You see Jesus healing through prayer. And now you're seeing Jesus heal through the hands of one of his apostles. And I don't think that this is something that Jesus just used to do. Jesus still does this. Now, does Jesus use us to heal? I can tell you this. I've never healed anybody. Has anybody else in this room ever healed anybody? I didn't think so. Even though this healing happens, who does it happen through? It's Jesus. It's Jesus who healed. It wasn't Peter who healed. Now, do people still have the gifts of healing? There are a lot who would say no. Those gifts were were momentary so that these disciples could show that they are to be trusted. Because there was no, the word wasn't there yet. You couldn't go to the New Testament and read and to figure out what truth was. And so God gave this specific people these amazing gifts for a period of time, and now they're gone. Some people believe that they're they're not gone. And um, I have not seen people heal. So I don't know. But I think that Jesus still heals people today. I think that it is never too hard for him. There's no situation that you are in, have been in, or will be in that God does not have the ability to radically change and save. There's no person at work or no neighbor around your house that is too far gone for our awesome God. Because God is in the business of changing lives and he still does it today. He, I think that he frees people from bondage. I think that the things that are keeping us down, Jesus gives victory. I think that, and I have seen when Jesus has removed guilt and has removed shame. I've seen when a person has struggled with forgiveness in their heart. And I've seen God just boom, and they're able to forgive the, the hardest of things. I have met people that have been through things that are unfathomable to me and they've been able to forgive. I have seen that the way that Jesus still wants to work today is to radically change, is to help people forgive themselves. I think there is an, an insane amount of people that are struggling in so many ways in their life and it really stems back to the fact that they cannot forgive themselves. God radically, drastically changed these, this guy's life, and he, he does it today. He wants to take the downcast and lead them to praise. He wants to take people who have no hope and give them hope. He draws people into himself. He makes people who, whose lives looked like hell, and now their lives are holy. 
He wants to take people and make them truly loving people. He wants to take people who are grumpy and make them joyful. He wants to take people who are struggling with anxiety and give them the deep faith. He wants to take people who have no peace in their lives, who are living fearful, and give them peace. God is in the business of radically changing people's lives. And when he does, people notice. When we yield to the, to the Lord and when he radically changes, people notice it. I can't tell you how many conversations after I gave my life to the Lord, people would say, what has happened? What, what happened to you? I can tell you with Caleb, I know. With Josh, I know that there are people who, are, who have come around, around them and have said, what has happened? Because God is in the business of changing lives even today, just like he did here. And when he does, people take notice. What we're going to see next week is this, this thing that happens here in this moment leads a group of people to be willing to listen to the gospel. Um, I had the opportunity to do um, a funeral yesterday. And in no way a bash against anybody here. The way that people were listening yesterday versus today is vastly different. I was almost floored as I'm up there presenting the gospel. Eyes were so fixed, not on me, but they were fixed on the words that I was saying about Jesus. It was unbelievable. And I came home and I told Sarah, I said, you know what? And I don't mean this mean to anybody at the greenhouse, but the way that the, the people there listened to what was coming from my mouth, the way that they listened to the words of the Bible were profoundly different than some of us when we come week in and week out. And God, he, he allows something to happen so that the, that the words can come forth. And that's what we'll see next week in this. God does this amazing thing where he radically changes this guy's life and people take notice. Now, um, I think that it's very possible for us to read a story like this and to be like, that is so cool. God radically changed this guy, and this guy was, was lame, and now he can walk. But I want to ask you a question. I want you to really think about this. And, and maybe I'm adding to, to the scriptures when I do this, but, but I, think it, I think it serves a very valuable purpose. Do you think that this guy, now that he can walk, do you think he ever will trip? You think that he ever is walking in a huge crowd of people, and someone's foot bumps his, and he stumbles just for a second? Do you think that maybe he's going for a hike? This is more me than anybody else. But he's going for a hike, and he's just talking, having a good old time, and a tree root's there, and he's not paying attention. He got his eyes off of the path momentarily, and he hit the root and started to trip. Yeah, I think that's what, I think that, that totally can happen. But do you know what happens is he may never, he, he may have um, been lame and can walk, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't at some point trip in some way, shape, or form, in some way stumble in some way, shape, or form. But guess what? His ankles and his feet were strong. 
And all of us in this room, there are times when something happens in our lives and we know we were lame and God has done something in us, but then something happens in our life. Maybe we're struggling with unforgiveness. Maybe we fall in an area where we didn't think we could or should. And you know what happens? Well, he, I must still be lame. And we can forget what God has done in our life. We can, we can doubt what God has done in our life. Rather than to say, you know what? Through Christ, my ankles and my feet are strong. It gives me hope, a deep hope. Because I can tell you in my life that God has radically and drastically changed my life. I can tell you I was blind and now I see. I was lost and now I'm found. I was lame and now I can walk. But I can also tell you this. I take my eyes off of the path and I stumble and I fall. Um, I believe that God radically and drastically change this guy's life and people take notice and there's going to be an amazing opportunity for Peter to share this good news with a large crowd of people. And I truly believe that today that God drastically and radically changes people's lives and people take notice. It doesn't mean that we will walk perfectly, but I really believe God still does this today. I challenge you, I challenge myself to think through the areas that God just wants to, to work in in our lives and that we let him. We have an awesome, powerful, amazing God who used Peter in a powerful way here. But it wasn't Peter doing it. It was Jesus. We have a God who radically and powerfully changes lives. Let's pray. God, I am... Um, I am humbled by the fact that when I was just a lame man, lame begging, and I had absolutely nothing to offer, that you reached your loving hand down and you picked me up. God, I pray that you would continue to do that in my life and that you would do that in other people's lives. And God, we would see you as you are, as a God that can do exceedingly abundant beyond all we can ask or imagine. God, if there's anyone in this room that is struggling with shame, with guilt, with unforgiveness, God, I pray that you'd reach your hand down and you'd take them by the right hand and you'd pick them up. In Jesus' name, amen.